0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 1. The Screwtape Letters. Welcome to Season 4. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon screw tape as he explains how to tempt the patient a human assigned to his nephew, a demon named Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, informing a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. So, if you guys haven't realized, we're going to be reading the Screwtape letters this season. Yeah. Which, woo, which I'm quite excited for. It'll be very <laughs> different than our last book because the last book was one where. Every chapter built on themselves. This one is going to be very different, where it's more like mere Christianity. They're building, but there's more independence to the chapters, which creates a different dynamic.
1: Yeah. And we have addressed the screw tape letters before. We did it three times in season three. I was on the Council of Trent talking about it with him. Uh, we had an after hours session with Reverend Brian McGreevy. And I think I also put up the audio for a talk that I gave in Los Angeles on the screw tape letters. But the real advantage, though, is that. We're going to be going through them letter by letter, so we're going to become intimately familiar with this particular demon.
2: Well, and I think this is an excellent way to to go about it because when I've taught this book before, um, probably the best way, you know, for an adult formation class or whatever, is to read a letter, discuss it, and then maybe read another one and to read them out loud. and And uh, I think that they're really self contained enough that it um, it's I find it really profitable to approach it this way. So I'm really happy.
0: And and if for some of you, if you're wondering, what is that other third-person voice?
2: (laughs) That is what we are also privileged with this
0: season. Not only a a wonderful Lewis book, as usual, but Andrew Lazo, the man, the myth, the legend himself, who has been on this podcast before, who we all loved their dynamic between David and Andrew in some of the episodes. So it is a pleasure to have Andrew here today. He's in seminary. uh, He's a till we have faces expert. A uh, wonderful person. I, rather than me doing an introduction, I'll let Andrew tell a little bit about himself. But he knows so much on C.S. Lewis. And so I just couldn't do it justice. So, Andrew, first of all, welcome to a more official guest on the podcast. And tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, thank you. I just, I love what you guys uh, do. And I think that it's a real service to the Lewis world. And I think that the results of the the Patreon and everything else uh, testify to the fact that, that Pines with Jack is really doing exceptional work, and so what a joy to be able to join with you. I had so much fun last year during Till We Have Faces. Uh, it's a busy schedule for me. I just started a second uh, graduate program with Northwind Seminary, so I'm working on my my MDiv at the Episcopal Seminary now, where Walter Hooper used to attend, and I'm also working on my doctorate with Northwind Seminary on Romantic Theology, doing work on the Inklings. So but always have time to sit back and have a drink of scotch with you all and, uh, and enjoy this letter, uh, these letters.
0: And what I'm so excited about with Andrew, listeners, is obviously you just heard he's incredibly smart, which is great. But he's a beautiful blend of David and myself. David and I were talking about this. He, it's it's going to be a great dynamic. I already know this without us even doing this three-way yet because Andrew's got an incredible intelligence on Lewis beyond most, and that's going to be a gift itself. But he's so charitable and compassionate. And whenever he talks, he connects it to the Christian journey. It's not just like, I want to intellectually know Lewis. It's, I want to know when we talk about love, how does, what does this mean for our lives? And I love that David and I try to do that balance with each other. Cause David is incredibly intellectual too. And I try to do more of the application side and you have this perfect blend between us. And so I think it's going to be a great fit. I would like to add, I am also loving
1: despite
2: <laughs> what Matt just implied. Well, you did get married and that testifies at least to some, to some extent to that exactly exactly i've at least got i've at least got eros covered mm. i'm particularly excited about screw tape letters i just did an interview uh with the colson center with shane morris's upstream podcast and when he asked what book i would recommend for today ah oh, i just had to it was it was such a strain because of course i want to talk about till we have faces and i want to talk about collected letters the voyage of the dawn Treader, but i think that perhaps the most relevant letter for today is is screw tape letters and the way that it addresses where we are, and especially with all those false quotes uh, going around that we'll address, uh, I think that Screw Tape uh, really gets to things. And I'm interested in seeing how David responds to Screw Tape because our patient gets married uh, during during the course <laughs> of the book. So I want to see if any of this advice really works for him and Marie. It is, it is very true. Uh, and actually,
1: not even the parts that refer to marriage, because he also talks about the relationship between the patient and his mother because they're living <laughs> under the same roof. And screwtape has lots of advice on how to uh, foster uh, disharmony in the home <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we got we got to use this chance now. So David, you are married officially. I am. tell us tell us about it.
1: it's It's wonderful. I definitely recommend it to everybody. It's not so much a change in life. It's more of like it's just a complete paradigm shift. Everything that uh, that you thought and did before, you do some of the similar things, but under very different uh, presuppositions. Mm. It's just like, there's no getting out of this now. I am yours. You are mine. Uh, what what can I do for you?
0: <laughs> have you ever read, the either of you two, The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller? I have bought it. I haven't yet read it. Okay. No I'm more. reading it right now. I got it for... My brother and now sister-in-law, as of a few month ago, roughly. And I've decided to buy it myself because the reviews were so good. And um, she doesn't come from the Catholic background, so I wanted a non-Catholic resource. And it seems incredible. I've read the first two chapters. I'm falling in love with the book. It makes you excited for marriage.
1: Timothy Keller is a wonderful writer, and his book was actually recommended by Dr. Jason Lepo-Yavi. That was how it got on my
2: radar. Ah. Well, and of course, Keller owes a great debt to Lewis and his wife, Kathy, as a child, wrote letters to Lewis and got answers back. And so there's that connection. I was recommended by Lancia Smith from the Cultivating uh, magazine. Um, she recommended and bought for Kristen and me The Mystery of Marriage, and mm. uh, the, which talked uh, funnily enough about how marriage is like constantly looking into a mirror. And given my 2 We Have Faces background, that was an apt <laughs> metaphor, but you always got to <laughs> see how monstrous you are when
0: you're married. It's almost like the screw tape letters. I, I, they just, I, I believe it was Jerry Root that described the screw tape letters as a mirror being held up to you.
2: Oh, that's great. Well, in one of his on. lectures. You can count on Jerry all the time.
0: Well, let's jump in as usual, guys. A lot. Of, there will be some new things that we're going to talk about in this episode to so our usual weekly episodes, the structure, but there's also... Of course, the quote of the week in the drink of the week. So let's let's go through some of those right now. The quote of the week this week is from the movie, The, The Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Now, Matt, you haven't seen this movie, have you? I knew you were going to do that. Oh, you <laughs> haven't. No. Andrew is about to learn in the first episode, Matt's movie lack of movie knowledge. Oh, no, I've listened
2: to enough episodes.
0: <laughs> I know that you have bigger yeah, that holes than I That comes across very quickly. <laughs> oh, That's great. Well, this
1: was just the inaugural episode for the season. So I was looking for a quotation. And I thought, ah, let's not pull from the text since we're going to be doing that each episode. What what saying about the devil do I think is probably one of the most popular and this this quotation just jumped into my mind and then I realized that Matt wouldn't know it and I could bring that up on the show so it's like perfect <laughs> done kaiser so say I love it exactly but but this actually is something that Lewis is going to talk about in the Screwtape letters although he presents that there is an alternative that the devil can do that there is a, that he can either make a materialist or a magician then we'll, we'll unpack what that means a little later.
2: Well, and he addresses the, uh, the kind of way that the devil wants us to think or not think about him right at the very beginning, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. Well, the drink of the week, which I am excited to announce, as much as this has been already a routine spot, two things. One, it's going to get taken to the next level. We have purchased an assortment of six or seven scotches, and that's just to get us beginning, that we're going to genuinely taste. We're going to give you the tasting notes, our own thoughts. But the second more important point is Andrew Lazo is more or less a Scotch connoisseur. Already loves this stuff. So he's going to not only bring our Lewis game to another level, he is going to bring our Scotch
2: game to another level. Oh, I'm not sure about connoisseur, but um, I am a member of a club called the 1405s, which has groups all over the country and, in fact, in England as well. 1405 was the first time the word whiskey appeared in the English language.
0: Oh, and, my goodness.
2: Yep. Yeah, so we gather... Uh, 15 or 20 of us, and buy two or three, three or four bottles of really nice scotch. And we read the the Bible of scotch, the book about single malt, and then we taste. And so we'll make ourselves a little mini cross-country 1405s ourselves. <laughs> really, David, we should make this his section.
0: <laughs> Not, it, we have different colors for different parts that we talk about, and this is mine. We should make this
2: Andrew's. <laughs> well, and I want to make it clear when when Matt said that we bought some scotch, that what that means is that Matt, in his incredible generosity, <laughs> made these miraculous boxes appear at uh, at each of our homes. And so I think that in in addition to cheersing everybody, we should cheers Matt for his generosity.
0: Let's just be honest. That was Matt making up for one David doing about three times the work, and <laughs> uh, and that was also a welcome of Andrew to the podcast to giving his time to all of us. So, ill's in comparison to what we receive as a community in return from these two. Hmm. So, what are we drinking today? Okay, I've personally never had this. It's called the Balvenie
2: Double Wood Aged Seventeen Years. Have you had this before, Andrew? No, no. And um, I'm more of a PD guy, but uh, so this is just my scotch knowledge is really just beginning. And um, it's kind of got a a dark green amber kind of color uh, to it if I hold it up to the light. So it looks beautiful,
0: which is very fitting because on the nose, which we'll all smell it right here to see if we can. But it says it's elegant and complex oak, vanilla, honeyed sweetness and a hint of green apple. So there could be your green.
1: And I think probably for one of the first times ever, I think I completely agree with the tasting notes.
0: Yes, I smell every aspect. And I, and I,
1: I think I can smell all of that. So if you're, if you're one of the people out there that always hears what people say in tasting notes and is like, I don't know, I just feel my nostrils burning, <laughs> maybe
2: try this one. Well, and I'm going to encourage us to also have, a, have water nearby because um, a drop of water really opens up the scotch. And so I've I'm going to do it. Here. Okay. I remember you saying that. I'm going to taste it first, and then I'm going to just drip some
0: in. Oh, I All missed right. that part of it, but <laughs> I've already got the water in now. All right, every we tasting? Here we go. Yep. Mm.
2: Oh, wow. That's smooth. can definitely taste the cinnamon. Mm. Yep. I love the layered richness of creamy toffee. Mm. Mm. All right, Toffee's definitely also strong. Now here comes a, a drop of water.
1: So the tasting notes say sweet with dried fruits, sherbet spice, toasted almonds and cinnamon. There, cinnamon. (laughs) I swear I've only had a little. Uh, Toasted almonds and cinnamon layered with a richness of creamy toffee notes and traces of oak
0: and deep vanilla. Mm. To be blunt, my taste isn't refined enough to get that part of the notes. I could smell (laughs) everything the nose said. The tasting, I can't separate all of those aspects.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I'd say I can get about 50% of it. Apparently, the finish is vanilla oak, honey, and spicy sweetness. The finish is much clearer,
2: I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a drop of water, uh, in some ways, broadens it out and mellows mellows all of it without taking away any of the taste. So I'm enjoying this.
0: Well, there you go, listeners. You can expect more of that. So we also have our usual toast. It's one of the benefits of being a gold level supporter on Patreon is that we toast one of them each episode. And so today we're going to be toasting Kaylee Gross. Kelly Gross. Gross. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Kelly. (laughs) Now now, now what people
1: can't see is that in the notes I've added long O like Pope because I had messaged Kelly and said, I just want to make sure I pronounce your last name correctly. And so I included all of that information uh, in our show notes for Matt to read
2: and he got the gross part right.
0: <laughs> That's, I was so focused on the gross part, I skimmed over the Kelly part. <laughs> Listen,
2: I was wondering how long it was going to take to get a reference to the Pope in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Andrew, we've got you beat two to one,
1: so it's going to happen very quickly each time. Well, I'll cheers to that, too.
0: <laughs> so here's what we've written. Kelly, we raise a glass that every day, through God's abundant grace, you find the strength to fend off any... And all attacks by screw tape and wormwood. Cheers. 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 Oh. Mm. All right. Very nice. Well, normally, this is where we do our chapter summary. If you guys remember, David did that beautifully until we have faces, and he has agreed to continue it. Probably be, am I correct, David? It's going to be a little shorter? Yes.
1: Yeah, so it'll probably just be 100 words because the chapters of screw tape are shorter. And so I, I, need, to, I need to press myself uh give me give myself fewer words to work with i wanted to work with haikus again but matt banned me
0: (laughs) (laughs) unless um is it john and greta Mm -hmm. unless they hear this and they respond to you david i will allow it to be opened back up pressure's on them right now you can't tell them to listen to this
1: (laughs) okay we'll see we'll see
0: all right so let's jump in this again we're gonna uh, outline the season what we're planning on doing as you guys know, in the past, we have had a blend of after-hour specials, which has been such a gift to have people on like Andrew Lazo, Patty Callahan, Douglas Gresham, other people that we've brought on. And then we have our usual episode, which is going through the chapter. This season, we're going to have our regular episodes every Tuesday. So there'll be one letter a week. That way, those continue at a very smooth pace. If you guys want to follow along, you will know the next letter is coming out the next week, barring something extreme that makes it hard for us to record. Now, the bonus episodes, meaning the after hours, those, there's not going to be one every Thursday, but whenever we have some sort of bonus episode and after hour, we are going to throw that on the Thursday time slot. It'll help us keep flow and allow you guys to follow along with a very routine pace.
1: And we have some wonderful guests. All lined up this next season is entirely planned and we're going to have holly ordway we're going to have dr michael ward in the same way that we had tolkien month last season we're going to have an owen barfield month because owen barfield is an inkling that not a lot of people have read much of or even know about so we're going to have an owen barfield month where we're going to be speaking to his grandson who also happens to be called Owen Barfield, which led to a very confused email exchange that I will explain closer to the (laughs) time. Uh, And we'll also be talking to Mark Vernon, who's done a lot of work with Owen Barfield's staff, and also scholars such as Malcolm Geit.
2: I'm very excited to to talk with Owen Barfield again. I met him during the Westminster Abbey uh, Memorial Stone in 2013. Um, And then uh, in my work on Early Prose Joy... Walter Hooper sent me photocopies of Lewis's notebooks, and in one of the notebook pages, there's actually a poem written by Owen Barfield in his own hand that the Barfield estate didn't even know about. So I have a copy of that, and maybe we can trump that out. But perhaps the best thing that I love about Barfield is that wonderful quote where he says, what C.S. Lewis thought about anything is secretly present in what he wrote about everything. Wow, 100% true. And that really defines it for me. So we owe a great debt to Barfield, who Lewis called the wisest and best of his unofficial teachers. And we're also going to be having a poetry month. Because one of the things that a lot
1: of people don't know about Lewis is his great desire in the early part of his life to be a poet and his various attempts at becoming a poet. So we're going to be looking at that specifically, and we're going to be speaking with Dr. Don W. King, who is the man when it comes to Lewis's poetry. and we're also going to be looking at some of Lewis's works briefly, Dimer, Spirits in Bondage. And we'll also be speaking to poet D.S. Martin, who is a poet who has written poetry about Lewis.
0: Is it bad that my first thought when you keep talking about poetry is from the episode of Friends when she goes, you're a poet and you don't even know it.
2: <laughs> yes, that is bad. Yes, yes that's bad. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> I,
0: now I'm outnumbered <laughs> with my uh, lack of sophistication deeply.
2: <laughs> I think that, you know, Lewis, uh, Lewis speaks eloquently about, um, he says in The Four Loves, now that Charles is gone, meaning Charles Williams, I actually don't have more of Ronald, meaning John Ronald Reuel Tolkien. I actually have less of him because I'll never see that particularly Caroline look on Tolkien's face. And so um, three friends together uh, um, expand the experience and the love exponentially. And so don't worry, Matt, we'll gang up on David soon enough. (laughs) And I'm free game for the two of you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we should also take this time to note the Skype sessions. In the past, as you guys know, those have been... Supplemental and they still are. This podcast is the central aspect to it all. But those are more David and I free flowing conversation. They are going to be more intentionally supplemental, might be the best way to do it. (laughs) We will be having some incredible guests only come on the Skype session rather than because we just don't have the capacity or the room to do it on this podcast. So that's to say, please go subscribe to that. Subscribe now, turn on the notifications. It's becoming a lot closer of importance to the podcast than it was in the past season. So I strongly encourage you guys to check that out. Andrew and I yesterday briefly were chatting for actually about an hour. And one thing I noticed is...
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a brief chat with me. (laughs)
0: Yes, is I was like, man, you know, Andrew has so much wisdom and we were just somehow we, were, we ended up talking about love and then he would go down the path of four loves and we talked about Tolkien and I said you know what Andrew we're going to do some of these in the Skype sessions because this isn't this is selfish of me to be the only person to hear this and so some of our Skype sessions are going to be diving deeper into Andrew's brain essentially.
2: <laughs> Well, and I'm looking forward to that because my doctorate uh, with Northland Seminary is focused on romantic theology, and so they're looking at the theology of love in all of the inklings. and what I'm finding even in my in my initial reading is that the center of the inklings is not Lewis's sense of Zenzut uh, or joy or longing. the center of that longing is love, and we talked mm. a little bit uh, fruitfully about love being the center and the end of the Lord of the Rings. And I'm finding that in Barfield and Williams as well. And so uh, I think that what Lewis wants us to be concerned about is seeing clearly the love of God and then how to apply that great theological concept into our own lives with how we treat each other. So I'm looking forward to that Skype session.
0: If that's not an advertisement for you guys to go subscribe right now, I don't know what is. You'll get more of
2: that. We'll pause and let you click. Go ahead. Yes. (laughs)
1: Not only will you get more of that, you will also get interviews with authors as their books come out. Like I said, we planned out this season, so the Skype sessions are a way of us sneaking in authors who have just released a book that doesn't necessarily fit with the theme of our season, but we want to talk to them and we want you guys to know that their book is released.
0: Oh, and the final thing with that real quick too was um, there's be, a lot of these episodes will be just two of us on it, not all three of us. And so the third person will get a chance if they, if they have the opportunity to sometimes do the Skype session.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. And, you know, they say in Israel, um, when you got married, uh, you got a whole year off and you didn't work and you didn't serve in the military and everything. So this is our our anemic way of giving David some time off uh, <laughs> from all the work that he does in his first year of marriage. Yes. Uh, Marie can thank us later by sending us scotch. <laughs> <laughs> She has
1: already thanked you now by allowing me to do this. <laughs> Correct answer. Here, here. <laughs> In addition to the Skype sessions, one of the things we're also going to try and do is have some watch parties. Because There's a lot of videos out there. There are the Narnia movies. There are biographies about Lewis and documentaries. And so what we thought we would do is for our patrons... We would have a watch party where we watch one of these movies, one of these biographies, one of these documentaries, and then all jump on a big Google meeting and chat about it afterwards. And our initial aim is to maybe have like one a quarter. And if you're one of our Patreon supporters, you'll be finding out about the next one that's going to be coming probably in the next couple of weeks.
0: Mm, I'm excited for those. Because that's just to be another level of connection with our community members. The Slack channel, which our Patreon subscribers get access to. It's just started to take off I mean it's already been taking off, but just as more people come, it's getting better and better, and that's another level beyond what we can normally do, but this will be another level of in person or not in person but more personable vocal conversation and I love that because we because we yeah we all just over over the similar love of Lewis, we all come together.
2: Well, and especially in this time where uh, this coming, I think this coming together takes on an increased importance because we're not able to. My wife and I were just lamenting the fact that we can't go watch Mulan in the theater. And that experience is so limited for some of us. I heard somebody uh, uh, mourning over the fact that Zoom has put an end permanently to snow days because there's now no excuse not to go to school. But in this time where we're separated, I think watching the same movie all together and then coming and talking about it—I don't know—maybe we send out a Patreon packet of popcorn.
0: A <laughs> great idea.
1: That is actually a fantastic idea. Yes. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can make that happen.
0: Okay,
1: yep. great. <laughs> As an aside, I actually have seen both Mulan and Tenant. Oh, uh, Mulan, disappointing. Tenant, you know Christopher Nolan likes his complicated stories you know inception mm-hmm. uh memento i don't know what he was on when he was laying this one out it if you didn't understand the earlier movies you're not gonna understand this one okay great well bill and ted's
2: excellent adventure facing face the music is fantastic so.
1: <laughs> man after my own heart i'm really excited <laughs> about that one by
2: the way and this is also <laughs> maybe an offline note um there is in the four disc uh dvd of the the collector's edition of Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. There's a movie in there called C. S. Lewis Dreamer of Narnia. Um mm-hmm. and we actually uh had the uh at one of the foundation events, I think it's in Diego, we had the filmmakers on to talk about that. And it's uh tough to get a hold of a copy. Actually, you can find it on eBay for 10 or 15 bucks. But that's a really good documentary that I just want to th- throw out there. And it's very well done. They've kind of animated some of the illustrations from Narnia. And they use the Seven Chronicles to talk about phases in Lewis's life. And it's about an hour, nice. hour and 15 or something like that. So it's a, it's a really accessible, probably the most accessible film biography that I've seen. Lots of interviews with lots of the, the Lewis-y folks.
1: I'd also now like to talk about a segment that we're going to have at the end of each episode. Uh, In this episode, what we're going to do each week is we're going to take all of the twisted advice that Screwtape has written to his nephew, and we're basically going to straighten it out. We're going to put it into some simple do's and don'ts, and possibly even add uh, a listener challenge maybe each week. And about a month ago, I started brainstorming ideas, and I put them up on social media. Some of the titles for the segment, they were scriptural, things like Resisting the Devil from the Epistle of James. Um, the armor of God from Ephesians six, and those kind of motifs, battle plans, stratagem, Michael's memo. Since, as Lewis says, that the opposite of Satan isn't God, but mm-hmm. Michael the archangel.
0: That's a clever one. I quite, I quite like that. Say Michael's as well as memo. <laughs> yeah. Why did I not hear that one? I might have voted for that one.
1: <laughs> as well as uh, the patient prognosis. So screwtape is always talking about the patient. Well, this is how we make him well. Uh, and then there are a few others like untwisting screw tape, unscrewing screw tape, straightening out screw tape. And by far, the most popular was unscrewing screw tape. Um, but who knows? We might vary it from time to time.
2: Yeah, well, I don't think that there are any rules except the ones we uh, apply to ourselves. I think it's an important concept in Lewis. And we talked about this um, uh, when I was on last, last year with, um, with Till We Have Faces, a lot of times in order to help us see things clearly, Lewis will flip things upside down. Um, And so if you think of Narcissus as being, seeing himself in the water, falling in love with his beauty and dying, well, Lewis is flipping that upside down with Eustace, who sees himself in the water, falls in love with how ugly he is. And because he disaffects his own self, he, he lives. And so always kind of reading Lewis, seeing what he's flipping upside down so that we can figure the puzzle out and straighten it out. And I think that that's a capital way to approach this kind of devilish advice.
0: And I love this because it's, it's I even mentioned to uh, Andrew yesterday, but one of my favorite things with this podcast outside of obviously diving into Lewis is the point of it is to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity. It's not just to fall more in love with Lewis. Of course, that's uh, going to happen hopefully. So I love at the end of the days. okay, what, how does this apply to my spiritual journey? How does it apply to my Christ forming within me? How does it apply to the way I treat other people? And so this unscreened screw tape is going to really create opportunities for that, the application side of it to come to light as we go through this.
2: Well, and certainly I think one of the, another one of the kind of guiding principles for reading, uh, reading Lewis, and especially when it comes to reading screw tape, um, he, he says, um, I think somewhere in the first letter, uh, how we we devils have oh yeah here it is it's in the very first paragraph um people in the past still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as the result of a chain of reasoning and so satan wants us not to change what we do because of what we think but we see lewis even before he's a christian as soon as he starts believing in god he changes what he does and he gets up an hour earlier and starts going to church and Lewis, I think one of the things that makes him enduring as an example is he does what he thinks. So it's not just an intellectual epi- episode for him. He actually does something about it right away. And for me, that's one of the most powerful examples that he gives me. And that's part of why he's my master. Mm, I love that. Well, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit of
1: the background to Screwtape? Basically, where did this book come from? Because it, 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 it really helps you actually understand the book better when you understand what gave Lewis the idea.
2: Yeah, well, it didn't all begin with a picture. It all began with a radio broadcast. Um, and uh, as I was doing some background research, um, there, some of the dates get all messed up, and you know how I am about dates. Um, so Walter <laughs> Hooper gets it wrong early on, but then we finally have the, the letter evidence about what actually happened so, um, the, the World War II breaks out in, in the fall of 1939, and Lewis famously is involved with this. That's when he gives his wonderful speech learning in wartime, which in some ways addresses where we are today. Uh, Warney uh, is, uh, is in service, and he gets called up and goes back to service. And so, one of the things we love is when Warney is away. Jack writes him all of these wonderful long letters. And so we have, mm. uh, you know, what he's thinking about and what he's reading in these letters. And so it's in one of these letters to Warney that he records that in July of 1940, um, he and uh, Humphrey Havert, the, one of the other inklings, um, were listening to the BBC and they were broadcasting a speech. Um, in July of 1940, where Hitler is appealing to England saying, hey, I don't want to destroy this great empire. I don't want to harm it at all. And he's just, he's making this apparently, you know, really passioned um, appeal for peace when he's really planning to try and destroy the world. And so Lewis writes about it the next day. So this is on a Friday. On Saturday, Lewis uh, writes uh, to, to warney um, we were listening to Hitler's speech together. Um, it's a positive revelation to me that while the speech lasts, it's impossible not to waver just a little. Statements which I know to be untrue all but convince me at any rate, if only the man saying them says it unflinchingly. And so that's what happens with, with Hitler. Um, and it's, it's what we call nowadays wrong but strong. Um, uh, you see that in Darren Brown, you know, in some of his videos, you know, if you'd say something wrong and say it loud enough, um, people are going to think that you're right. Uh, we won't comment on the political election coming up. <laughs> I always say to people, you can scream it as loud as you want. It doesn't make it right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whenever they do that. <laughs> but people will hear and, and people are, are relatively thoughtless, uh, a lot of times. And so that's on Friday on Saturday, he writes to warning about it. And then on Sunday he goes to noontime church. And while he should have been thinking about the sermon, um, he starts thinking about, Hey, I wonder what would happen if I did a series of letters from one senior devil to a junior devil, teaching him how to damn a soul, kind of having that same effect that Hitler did. Um, and so he says, I, I think it might be useful and entertaining, um, would be called as one devil to another and would consist of letters from an elderly retired devil to a young devil who has just started work on his first patient. Um, and I think that word is crucial. Uh, somebody asked me uh, after I did the talkback for one of the Max McLean um, screw tape on stage, they said, why does they call him a patient? And I had to think about it, and I went home and I thought, okay, well, a patient is somebody who the doctor is trying to make better. The expert is trying to make us better. Well, the the demons are experts at damning the soul, and they are trying to make us worse. Right? <laughs> and so, um, so that's kind of where it all started.
1: And everything in Screw Tape is turned upside down. So whereas a doctor tries to make you better, right, a demon is going to try and make you worse, right. And also he's going to give you the treatment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And that's the, so that formed the the basis of the Screw Tape Letters. Uh, They were published in 31 installments in a, in a, a, a kind of a Christian periodical called The Guardian, not the newspaper we now know, but it was published between May and November of 1941 and then published as a book in 1942. And it was just extremely popular.
1: I heard that Lewis got paid two pounds per letter from the guardian. And as usual, he gave the money away to widows and orphans. And am I right in saying that this was, this was the major incident that caused them to start the agape fund because he then got stung
2: with a massive tax. bill. It was, it was Lewis. uh, Actually, this really kind of set the course of Lewis's life in at least three distinct ways. Um, First of all, he made a ton of money but he thought, this is, I'm writing for the Lord, how can, I possibly, uh, how can I possibly hang on to this money? And so he gave it all away, not knowing, not thinking that the tax bill would come. And the tax bill came, and it almost ruined him before he got a little bit more royalty uh, money and paid off the tax bill. His best friend, Owen Barfield, who is a solicitor, uh, a lawyer, uh, took Lewis's finance in hand. And so for the rest of his life... Uh, Barfield set up the Agapi Fund or the Agapinary, where two thirds of Lewis's royalty income from all of his books would go to uh, to to charities. And often Lewis didn't even know the extent of his own charities. So the Agapi Fund gets set up. Um, Lewis begins getting letters uh, from everywhere around the world. Uh, he had written The Problem of Pain, published it in 1940. And so between The Problem of Pain, a work of Christian apologetics, and this kind of popular, you know, anti-devil book, Tape, Lewis began getting letters and got them for the rest of his life. And he felt like it was his obligation to answer every letter that he received. So he would often spend two hours a day answering letters, 50,000 of them he wrote during his life. And hmm. the third thing that really happened out of writing Screwtape was it made him incredibly popular. Uh, even put him on the cover of Time magazine. So those are the three kind of lifelong effects that this book published in 1942 really had. And
1: it also was something of a, of a, of a cauldron of ideas that started bubbling at this point, right? Because he was also writing the preface to Paradise Lost at the same time, which is all about the fall and Satan's influence.
2: Yep, absolutely. And not only that, um, he started giving the broadcast, which became Mere Christianity, and there are whole sections on The Enemy, or the devil in mere Christianity. And he was also writing at this time, *Paralandra*, which features a demon-possessed uh, character. And so he's giving a lot of thought to the devil. And so uh, a lot of times what you'll see is that ideas really coalesce around a certain time period with Lewis.
1: Now, I did actually have one question that I've been meaning to ask you. When he was listening to Hitler, my last appeal to Great Britain with Dr. Havard, Lewis could speak German, right? So was it was it in the original German, or was somebody translating it?
2: That's a great question, um, and I actually had it myself, and I didn't really know the answer until I started doing the research for this this episode. And in his wonderful CS Lewis companion and guide, Walter Hooper gives the background to Screw Tape, and uh, Hooper says that during Hitler's speech from the Reichstag uh, in Berlin at six p.m., the BBC gave a running translation. So it was possible to hear both the original of Hitler and an English rendering. So Lewis read German, but I don't think that he really spoke German. All that book knowledge. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When I was doing some research for this, and you just briefly mentioned it a a second ago, David, but, and maybe, Lazo, you can expand on this, but the influence of Paradise Lost, I never knew any of that part of Lewis. And I read an essay that was talking about it from Paralandra, to Screwtape Letters, to, was it Voyager Don Dawn Shredder, or was one of the Narnia books? Um, but it, was, it was explaining the influence that it, it potentially had, probably had, because Lewis wrote so much about it. And it mentioned that Lewis really didn't like that the romantics heroicized, if that's a word. Uh, it might be a Matt word.
2: <laughs> heroicized.
0: <laughs> wow, we are hitting all of the
1: points on a typical episode. This yes, is wonderful. Yes.
0: Love
2: it. <laughs> Made a hero of... <laughs> made a hero of it's just an incredible day today, guys. Incredible. <laughs> or or how about Lionized? <laughs> oh, that's better.
1: I like that. He's he's gonna make us better men, Matt. Carry yes. On.
0: But made a hero of some of the characteristics of the Satan character in Paradise Lost. Not that overall he was a hero, but that he was he would go into battle and ride, and there was like courage and valiance, and he did not like that. And so the essay was arguing that in Screwtape Letters, it was very intentional to make sure that Screwtape came across petty and vindictive and just in no way admirable. You don't read it. Like when I read Mere Christianity, and listeners know this, I was actually considering becoming an atheist. And then when I read Mere Christianity, I wasn't necessarily convinced of the existence of God yet, but there was something about it that drew me to the beauty of it. And I said, I don't really know if God exists or not, but that life seems to bring joy and happiness. Well, the opposite happens with screw tape. You read that and you go, I don't want to be that person
2: mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and Milton, I don't think was, you know, he was, his purpose was, according to himself, was to justify the ways of God to men. Um, but this kind of heroic, noble Satan uh, is, is portrayed in Paradise Lost. And then what soon happens, especially in the 20th century with the advent of modernism, Uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton famously said About the early century, 20th century The Christian ideal hasn't been tried and found wanting It's been found difficult and left untried Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, people (laughs) dismissed the idea of biblical Christianity Or a real devil Lewis even addresses it Do you mean at this time to bring back the devil with horns? And he says, well, I'm not particular about the horns You know, but um, there's an exultation. and i don't know what the time's got to do with it exactly right uh, but there's a hero heroizing <laughs> yeah, lionizing of the devil no <laughs> see what you've Stand done firm andrew <laughs> you are our bulwark <laughs> but yeah there's this idea of you know we'll, and and i think it's best i, I hope it's a, it's a title of one of the episodes i think it's best expressed by uh, by a rolling stone song, right sympathy for the devil Um, and if you've rejected God, you know, you can look at maybe the possible nobility of the devil. And of course, that's a myth and a lie. Um, the thing I I love about devil worshipers is that they don't know that the devil hates them. Um, he doesn't care about their worship. Uh, and so, so in any case, there's, yeah, there's certainly this kind of mid-century fascination with, you know, the ugly, the absurd, the grotesque and exalting that. And you see that in a lot of the art, um, literature, art, sculpture, all the rest. And so Lewis, I think, is as a fire-breathing, you know, hot, gospeling Christian trying to present who the devil really is. And you're really wise to, I think, see that and point that out.
1: And that was something that he addressed also in The Great Divorce, in responding to Blake's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, because that was also formed in that very similar collection of ideas that maybe the devil isn't quite as bad as we thought Mm -hmm.
2: well and and he's addressing the desire to have both extremes and in his poem god in his mercy made the fixed bonds of hell Um, he god establishes the boundaries of hell so that hell can't infect paradise what's the old saying it doesn't take a whole lot of dirt to ruin an ice cream cone Um, (laughs) i haven't i haven't heard that one before that's
0: good (laughs) Well, I like when I was reading that essay related to what we're talking about with Screwtape, I felt like it worded it very beautifully this way. The Screwtape letters are deeply committed to a narrative in which abandonment to the will of God is humankind's only ultimately worthwhile pursuit. And the demons are dedicated to thwarting that pursuit. Mm-hmm. They do it by trying to woo the patient through pride.
2: Mm-hmm. And remember that the opposite of pride is love, right? Mm. It's not humility. Um, love turns outward towards something else. And, uh, if I'm right about Lewis being mostly concerned with love, um, and as he says in in mere Christianity, book three, chapter eight, pride is the great sin. Um, pride says me and love says you, and ultimately says it about the whole universe. And so that's why the demons are food for each other. Um, they're all self-serving, self-consuming, um, (laughs) And you see that everywhere in the list.
0: But you and I are gonna talk about that in a Skype session because Absolutely. Andrew mentioned that yesterday and he, when we were talking about uh, Orwell versus Psyche. And I asked, what does Psyche do different than Orwell? And you said, she, goes, she turns without, she heals, she turns to the God, all this stuff. So I don't wanna, that's a teaser Skype session, future.
2: It certainly is, but also I think that maybe the great takeaway for listeners um, and the application is always the two great commandments. You know, I'm training to be an Episcopal priest and I can, I can see already that the focus of my ministry would be loving God and loving each other and then grappling with what you and I talked about just briefly in a, in a private conversation yesterday, Matt, is, uh, is focusing on God's great love for us. If I could deeply understand my belovedness and then express that in my love for God and in my love for my neighbor, um, that would be a complete Christian life.
0: Mm. I'm so excited for this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of odd, though, when you think about it, that it's it's this book that takes an Oxford don and catapults him to fame and somewhat fortune, although he gives most of it away. You know, all of the work that he did. uh, And okay, for people that obviously can't see our video feed, since this is on the podcast. Andrew is now showing off his copy of Times Magazine with C.S. Lewis on the front. His heresy Christianity. I'm just going to tell people, if you ever try and get into this game with Andrew, it's like, well, let me show you my (laughs) C.S. (laughs) Lewis stuff. You are going to
0: lose.
2: But the thing is that the the subtitle of that Time Magazine cover from uh, September of 1947, Lewis's heresy is Christianity. And it's important to know that at this point, um, the idea of, of traditional orthodox biblical supernatural Christianity had largely passed out of the public and the public mindset as even a possibility um, and so by being a Bible believing supernaturalist and Christian Lewis was in some ways a heretic and it cost him greatly uh, in the in the academic world I recall
1: one of warney's letters he says that one of the reasons that Lewis possibly lost a, a poetry chair or ward was because he wrote the screw tape letters somebody when they were
2: going to vote they said that they were definitely going to vote for the other guy because lewis wrote screw tape yes yes and that's exactly true the other guy by the name is confusingly enough cecil day lewis Um, (laughs) so it was cdl versus csl and that Cecil Day-Lewis is actually the uncle of the actor Daniel Day-Lewis, who some of you may know. Whoa. Uh. So, but yeah, um, Lewis, I think, sealed his fate. And I think he knew that he did. Once he spoke up in Problem of Pain, in Mere Christianity, on the broadcasts, and certainly with the screw Tape Letters, it, he committed the cardinal sin of any Oxford academic. There were two things that he did that really offended the Academy. First of all, he published outside of his field. So his field was English literature and philosophy, but he published in theology, which is just not done. Particularly believing theology. Exactly. (laughs) And then the other thing that he did was he he published popular works.
0: (laughs) so funny. (laughs) They're so popular. I'm, I'm again, I'm recording from uh, a a cabin family place up North and uh, all three families are here of my grandparents and my cousins have all read it in high school My other cousin did. My brother-in-law has read it, loves it. Uh, He runs a company and he was talking about having some of his employees read it. Like this is incredibly popular work of his. But
1: I also don't understand where this slur of something being popular comes from, because generally it means it's readable. Uh, One of the things that I love about Diana Goliath's work is... I've, I've now started her more academic work. It is still beautifully readable. I understand what she's saying. There's is, That is not true for all academic
2: work that I have tried to read. Town and gown. So the big conflict in Oxford is between town and gown, the gown-wearing academics. And there's this sense that if you are understood by the popular people, you must not be doing intellectual enough work. Uh, and some of that is true. I mean... It, the average newspaper, you know, article is written to eight-year-olds, and I think or eighth graders, and I think that's even lower on the internet. And uh, T Bone Burnett, the, the the songwriter, says, "How come I think that something, as soon as something appears to, um, in the in the news, it ceases to be true?" Um, <laughs> and it's not a very thoughtful world. And so, if Lewis is doing something that really strikes with the populace, between that and his BBC broadcasts. Um, that makes him an outcast in the effete elite, uh, ultra uber high intelligentsia world of the uh, of British Academy, especially at Oxford. And so, yeah, there was certainly a prejudice against the common people. And I always
0: say I like to take the opposite approach because I think it's to, to help boost up uh, Lewis there and say, I believe when you can explain it to the common person, that means you truly understand it. Like when, you, when the concept is incredibly tough, if you can't explain it, I'm not sure if you really understand it. It doesn't mean you're, you're explaining it to the point where they can understand everything you're understanding. But like mere Christianity, reading scripture, theology, it's deep. He was able to do it, though, where people can pick up mere Christianity and understand some pretty intense concepts, especially in that last book. And that just, I think, goes to show how brilliant he
2: was. Well, it's it all goes back to Till We Have Faces, as does everything, <laughs> <laughs> Let it go Andrew. <laughs> no, no, no. Let it flow. Uh, remember what the fox said? Uh, to say the thing you mean, the whole of it and nothing else. That truly is the art and joy of words, right? Mm. To express clearly. And that's kind of part of my universal field theory of Lewis is that he was after clarity. He was after making mm. things clear. Um, I think that's part of why he names Lucy, Lucy, uh, Lucy, because she's lucid and sees clearly. Um, and then the other thing, of course, as I keep going back to is not just clarity, but also charity. But, but that's not what the Academy is about. And sometimes you don't even get your thing published unless it's got enough jargon in it. For people who are hearing this and wondering, oh, I want them to talk more
0: about clarity and charity. Claritas, Charitas, that's going to be a Skype session. <laughs> we already identified that yesterday.
1: <laughs> but I think all of this sums up in the fact that uh, Lewis was a master communicator, as Stephen Beebe likes to say. And as he points out in his book, C.S. Lewis and the Craft of Communication.
2: Oh, it was a joy to him. I got to read early drafts of that and have great conversations with Steve. And I think that he's really done yeoman's work and really blessed the Lewis community by saying what makes him such an effective communicator and Matt, it's like you were saying he was audience centered. He could Mm -hmm. write very academically um, like Diana does. um, But he also wanted to make things clear. And I think that you're right about Diana. She spent 23 years research and writing research. Oh, David was mentioning that um, researching and writing uh, the company they keep and really crafted carefully the prose of that. In fact, I had a quote in that book. She quoted me in that book But Diana cut it because it interrupted just a little bit the flow of the prose. And I'm glad she did. It's the most readable scholarly book I've ever read.
1: And I think that's a beautiful transition for me to interrupt Andrew once again and say that we're really looking forward to the rest of this season. And listeners, in the meantime, please check us out on social media. Did you know that we had a Facebook page? If not, please go and like it. I post all kinds of articles and uh, my quotation images that I produce on there. And also all of our merchandise is now open up for purchase. As we mentioned at the end of the episode last season, we don't make any money of this. It's just if you would like some Pints for Jack merch, if you like a T-shirt, an etched glass, and we've got all different kinds, whether they be Glencairn or pint glasses, um, we've got lots of stuff for you to show off to your friends. And Christmas isn't that far away. <laughs> you know, what What greater love could, you, could man show to his friend than laying down some hard-earned cash to buy some Pints for Jack
2: merch? Okay, that may be heresy, but we'll let it slide.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let, let me redeem it by saying that you can also buy lots of wonderful things on Andrew's eBay account. <laughs> because as mentioned, he accumulates all kinds of Lewis books and memorabilia and then uh, shares it with people on eBay.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I love scouting books, and I try to, to put them out there for prices that are a little bit less than you could find them elsewhere, but I also have some treasures. I think I have three first editions of uh, Studies of Medieval and Renaissance Literature, and I think I have four first uh, editions, subsequent printings of, of Grief Observed, and I've got a number of things on there. And so it's just fun for me to scout it out. I've also got some really reasonably priced things uh, there, so I want to supply books for, um, for folks who, who love Lewis and do what I can for that. So thanks for the mention. And what's the name? Because I Googled once,
0: like, Andrew Lazo eBay, and I don't think it popped up. There's a specific name associated with it, right? Yeah, it's C.S. Lewis
2: fan,
1: and we'll
0: post a link.
1: Well, all, all of these links will be on our website, pinesforjack.com. If you click on the shop link, it'll come to a page, and it will link you to the other sites where you can get the T-shirts, the glasses, Andrew's eBay, and... Who knows, maybe there'll be something else coming fairly soon if I can get my act together.
0: <laughs> We're recording this like three weeks before it's released and that's David's way of saying, Matt, have you done those links yet? <laughs> Subtle, right? Subtle. <laughs> oh. Guys, this is it. We're wrapping it up. I think that's the bell. So join us next time when we'll be going. Further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.